Well, it's good to be with you this morning. What a beautiful opportunity to worship our God together on a beautiful day. The kids are going to be going to the back. If it's okay with your parents, they got church happening. We're going to go back there right now. Uh, while you're doing that, I'd like to just bring, bring a couple things to your attention so that we can be praying about this, these things and we can be uh, thinking about these things. First of all, I want to remind us that Charles and Karen are going to be leaving for Africa here in about three weeks, four weeks. Yeah, so uh, there's uh, some needs that are there. Uh, there's actually a poster on the back bulletin board uh, just with kind of breakdown of some of the costs for that trip and everything involved. We were talking about that yesterday and going to have uh, some uh, up to 3,000 people or even more uh, that kind of come from all over that region that sometimes have been dealing with medical issues for months, years, but just don't have a medical place to get those things taken care of. And so, uh, wonderful opportunity uh, for several doctors to come together and serve a community that's in need, uh, but also to go with a group that is sharing the gospel and helping the church in that area. And so, I'm excited for the work that they're doing, excited for the opportunity that Charles and Karen have and um, be praying for them over these next few weeks as they make those preparations and continue to raise funds for that. Um, there's some great needs there, and um, it's been uh, good that we can participate with you in that. Uh, and then in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a Sunday school class, I think on the 18th, uh, and they're going to share more and have some of their friends um, from Africa um, that are going to be sharing um, about that. Time to do that. Um, also, just want to mention again, I know it was mentioned during announcements, but we do have our baptism service coming up, and I just want to reiterate that baptism is something that we do as Christians because Jesus commanded us to. It is, a, it is something that we do as the first act of obedience in our walk with the Lord, and, and that we say, yes, I, I want to identify with Jesus Christ. I, I want the world to know that I'm his, that I'm a follower of him. Uh, I shared a month ago, it's, it's kind of, it would be kind of like um, in my son's wedding coming up this next week. Um, for, for us to say, okay, we're going to share vows, but for my son to say, I, I can't wear this ring. I, I, I don't want people to know that we're together. That, that would be wrong, wouldn't it? Um, in fact, I probably would have a conversation with him about that. We'd step off the stage and go talk for a few minutes and then come back. Um, it's serious. Uh, and, and baptism is in the same way. It's, it's a person saying, I identify with Jesus, and I want the world to know that I'm that I put my faith in him who died on the cross for my sins. And so it's important, and I just want to reiterate that, but we will have a baptism service in, towards the end of July, and we have a few people that have signed up for that already um, that have not been baptized as believers. And uh, if you have not, uh, I want to encourage you, uh, talk to me today before I leave on vacation, uh, or send me an email, and uh, we'd love to um, get you involved in that service as well so that you can participate. With that, uh, if you would join me, let's go to our Lord in prayer, and let's pray for his blessing on our time in his word. Uh, Father God, we, we thank you. Uh, we praise you. You are awesome. You are this amazing God that is so far beyond us. You are you're so infinite and uh, beyond comprehension in how mighty and glorious and holy you are. And, and yet you stepped into our lives. Uh, you stepped in and made yourself known to us. Uh, who are you that you were mindful of us? And, and yet you came and, and became one of us. You died. Your son died on the cross for our sins that, that we might know you, that we might be in relationship with you, that we might restore that relationship. And, and, and now you've given us your word that we can read it, that we can study it, that we can look at the what was written long ago and, and realize how practical it is for daily life today. 
And so thank you for all these things. We pray that you would use this time as we come to your word. And, and, and Father, I pray that you would that you fill me with your spirit as I, as I communicate the words that I've studied here. I pray that you would fill each person here with your spirit as we respond to what you say and walk in obedience. We thank you. We give you praise. And we pray that you would bless this time as we listen to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Koinonia. It's a word that, that you should know. Now, you, you don't need to know Greek and Hebrew in order to read your Bible, right? You have amazing, fantastic Bible translations that are available to you in English. <clears throat> Knowing the, the languages that the Bible were originally added in, they, they can, that can add color to your Bible study. But, but the English, Bible, English translations of the Bible are, are so well done. However... Occasionally, we come across a word that just packs a punch, and there's no equivalent to it in the English language. Many of you know agape, phileo, different words for love. Um, but there's another word that I want you to learn today, if you don't know it already, and it's the Greek word that we find in the Bible that's called koinonia. All right, can you say it with me just really quick? Koinonia, very good. Yeah, see, you guys are experts at this. Um, you know, we usually translate this word uh, with the English word fellowship. It was in the passage that, that Merv just read for us, uh, koinonia. Uh, but quite honestly, when Americans hear fellowship, uh, what's the first thing that typically comes to our minds? <laughs> I heard it, potlucks. Yeah, we're going to fellowship today, which means I'm going to gorge myself and, and make an obscene, right? I'm going to fill that plate so high, and that's true fellowship, you know? Um, we usually think of food, or we may not be thinking of gorging ourselves, but we're going to at least enjoy some good food and sit across the table from somebody. And, and, and that's part of fellowship, uh, that, that community of, of interacting with one another, of sharing life with one another in, in that context. But, but fellowship is something so much bigger than this. It's, um, it's bigger than just catching up on life. And so, you know, as Americans, we, you know, we're kind of like those dogs in the movie Up. Uh, you know, squirrel, you know, your fellowship, casserole, um, we, we, we go there. But um, the word koinonia means a lot more. It came to define this special bond between brothers and sisters in Christ and this community that we're a part of. Koinonia refers to what we share in common. Do we have a lot of common in Jesus Christ? I hope so. Please. Do we have common things in common? Yeah, yes, absolutely. So many things that God has done for us that we were helpless before, but when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he put us in part of a community in which we share all the benefits of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. It refers to what we have in common. It includes this idea of partnership, this partnership that we have in the work of the gospel. Uh, koinonia is, is a word that's used 20 times in the New Testament, and it conveys this central, this central aspect of Christianity that wraps around everything that we share together. Pastor Tony Evans summarized it this way. I, I can't use his wonderful voice, unfortunately, but these are the words he spoke. He said, God by nature is a relational being. He's never been by himself because the Trinity is one God composed of three co-equal persons who are distinct in personality while simultaneously being one in essence. So God always 
had company. In fact, he has created the world to function that way, he continues. That is why fish school, wolves pack, cattle's herd, and bees swarm, because he creates his creation to be in community. So if all you do is come to church for you, you're actually blocking the Spirit from changing you. That's why he wants people who are being discipled to become disciplers, because that forces you to benefit others while you yourselves are being benefited. So this, he says, is fellowship. It is not coffee and punch in the fellowship hall. Fellowship is life-touching life. One of the greatest displays of koinonia that we find is in the book of Philemon, which we've been studying lately. Uh, This short letter of the Apostle Paul is is a wonderful illustration of of koinonia that we share with one another. And we are going to finish this gigantic book this morning. Uh, We started Philemon, what was it, all the way back in in May. Uh, And I I know that this has been the longest sermon series I've ever preached at Dwitty Free. But like most letters uh, of the first century, epistles uh, were brought to a close with some final instructions, a few greetings, oftentimes a prayer to the gods. Uh, Christians wrote letters in in the same way, except they they ended with a prayer to Jesus Christ. Uh, This morning, we're going to focus on those final words of this small book of Philemon, this personal letter. And as we do, I want you to notice this concept of koinonia that pervades this letter and this community of believers and pervades these last few verses in particular of Philemon. First notice in verses 17 through 20 how koinonia happens. Uh, It happens right in the middle of the the messes of life. Up to this point in the letter, uh, Paul's just come come up to the point of making this big request. You see, one of Philemon's slaves was missing in action. Uh, He had run away or really did something bad, and he was avoiding going home. Uh, One way or another, Onesimus uh, came across Paul, and and this slave heard the the, the good news about Jesus Christ. He put his faith in Jesus, and his life was transformed. Uh, He went from being somebody who was useless to somebody who was very useful, and and he incredibly, he benefited Paul in a very practical way while he was there in in chains. And so Paul ends up sending Onesimus back to Philemon because he he knew it was important that he sought forgiveness, and and he also wanted to introduce Onesimus to Philemon as his brother in Christ. Now, in a culture that was pervaded by slavery, and we've talked about slavery and Philemon and how that interacts the last couple weeks, we, we see how the good news transforms relationships. And it transforms culture when God's people start acting counterculturally. Because you see, the, the person, when a person comes to know Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God begins to transform them from the inside out and leads us to live different lives than what the world tells us to live. And so Paul's request, his big request from Philemon, he, he sends Onesimus back and he, he asks Philemon to not only forgive him, but to take this slave back as a brother in Christ, as someone who is co-equal, a co-equal heir in eternity. And my friends, culture where, where slavery was, was so foundational to the entire way of Roman life, uh, receiving a slave as a brother, and what Paul is saying in this letter, this, this was a completely different way of understanding community. But in, commun- in community, 
we have this thing called koinonia, fellowship. In fact, Paul starts out in verse 17 with, with koinonia. He begins by appealing to the, the partnership that was shared between Paul and Philemon. And that word there is koinonia, koinonos, um, fellowship, partnership. When he says, you are my partner, that's koinonos, you are my person that shares in koinonia. And so he writes this in verses 17 through 20. He says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even on your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And so Paul has, has already essentially asked Philemon to forgive Onesimus. And he's already asked him to take him back as a brother, as a part of the family, because of their relationship in Jesus Christ. But now he goes one step further. And, and this is the first time in the entire letter that Paul uses the imperative, the, the kind of verb that conveys commands and, and serious requests. He says, look, Philemon, if, if we are koinonas, partners, and we are, if we have koinonia, like I've been describing from the beginning of this letter, I want you to not only receive Onesimus back as your brother, but receive him back like you would receive me. Now, how would, how would Philemon do that? I mean, every time Paul visited, there, there was a partnership that was there. There was a, a brotherly camaraderie. There was a friendship. And, and now Paul's saying, not only just treat him like a brother in Christ, but, but treat him like you would treat me. Now please note that not only is koinonia permeating this letter, but, but put yourself in the shoes of these two men. And think, think about the kind of, of letter that's being written here. Life just gets messy sometimes, doesn't it? You ever have to deal with something with a brother or sister in Christ where you, you're going to have a conversation and you know it's just going to be awkward? Or, or you have to ask for something or do something or... Sin comes into things, mistakes come into things, people are people, and, and, and circumstances happen around us that, that sometimes life is messy. The, the world goes crazy, and Christians find themselves in the middle of all that, trying to figure out, how, how do I be like Jesus when, when the whole world is just a wreck? And, and now we're in this circumstance where we're trying to be kind to one another, and sometimes that's hard. And so Paul's requesting this enormous favor of Philemon that requires him to shift the way that he probably thought about Onesimus. He, he was challenging Philemon to change his worldview, change his whole view of, of how these cultural relationships, these societal relationships work between master and slave. There's a way of changing the way they think about it that eventually is going to shift the whole slave industry and abolish it at one point. But friend, our relationship with Jesus, I, I want you to know that this isn't just some two guys writing a letter 2,000 years ago that, that experienced this type of thing for the first time. This is between us. This, our, our relationship with Jesus, the koinonia that, that we share, it, it is going to require that each one of us shift the way that we think about one another. And oftentimes that gets uncomfortable. 
It's going to require you to change the way that you perceive life. It's going to require you to change the way that you understand things around you and how they work completely. But I want you to also notice that Paul doesn't just ask a huge favor of Philemon and say, hey, you need to change everything. Uh, Paul puts himself on the line too, doesn't he? And in a big way. We, we don't know exactly what Onesimus did. It, it's apparent from this letter that Onesimus hurt Philemon in some way financially. There, there's a lot of people that think that he stole something and he, he ran away and he went off to Rome to start a new life and get lost in the big city. That, that's, that's one possibility. Um, it, it may be that, uh, that him being gone for so long uh, put a, a financial burden on, on the household in some way. Or, or maybe uh, some other scholars think that, that Onesimus, he may have messed up in some way. Maybe the, the Mustang. Um, whatever the case, it's, it's apparent that Onesimus owed his master for something financially. But, but Paul makes his second imperative request here, and he says, charge it to my account. I'll pay it. And, and, and this isn't just nice talk. This isn't just Paul saying, um, you know, we sometimes get the sense that Paul's putting pressure on his friend. You know, hey, forgive him. I'll pay it back. Uh-huh. We well, you know how this works. This, this is a serious, the way he does this. He, he's not just beating around the bush and and saying what needs to be said and, and then moving on as if he for, never said it in the first place. What, what he does here is, is he says, look, I, I will pay any debt that he owes. And in verse 19, Paul mentions that at this point in the letter that the penmanship on that original manuscript had changed. It, it went from probably Timothy being his secretary and his handwriting to, to Paul's handwriting. And Paul says, I am writing this myself. And in Roman culture, what Paul just did there is he signed the contract. He, he committed himself. He was legally obligated at this point for whatever Philemon said, hey, you owe this to me because you took Onesimus's debt. And, and so Paul put himself under legal compulsion to pay whatever Philemon said that he owed. And, and, and he, this financial well-being is on the line. He's accepting full responsibility of the whole thing. And essentially, this letter that you're reading here with me, that we've been studying this three weeks, this letter is a blank check that Paul wrote to his friend Philemon. Anybody ever write a blank check to someone? Just sign the bottom and said, you know, fill it in. The amount, the person. We, we usually counsel against that sort of thing, don't we? But that's what Paul's doing here with Philemon. He trusts him. He, he knows that Philemon's going to do what's right, and, and Paul's committed to doing what's right, and, and the two of them together are going to do what is the absolutely best for this, this man, Onesimus, who's come to know Jesus Christ. And so Paul commits himself. And as you look at the, the, what's going on here, what you see is that life's messy. Paul puts himself out there as much as he, as much as or more than he was asking Philemon to do. But because these men shared true Christian koinonia, he, he briefly mentions what they both know. Um, it's part of the conversation. Uh, we're, we're third party reading in and going, this is kind of a weird conversation the way he says some of these things. But part of what's happening is, is Paul's just saying what they both already know and he's putting it on paper and, and then he's moving on to other things. Uh, he, he, um, he, uh, he seems to have shared the gospel with Philemon at some point and, and Philemon's Eternity was owed to Paul because Paul shared the gospel with him. 
And, and so that's kind of out there. And he tells his friend uh, everything that he ought to do, but he's, um, excuse me, if Paul wanted to, he, he could really have laid it on at this point, is, is what I meant to say. He could have said, you know, Philemon, I shared the gospel with you, and I shouldn't even have to ask you for money for Onesimus. I shouldn't even have to volunteer that I would pay for it. And so I'm going to really put the pressure on you at this point in this letter. And, and he could have gone on for twice the length of this letter just to really let Philemon have it. But instead what he's doing is he basically puts out what they're both thinking in the back of their heads. And, and then he quickly moves on after he deals with the elephant in the room because he doesn't want to linger there. Again, this whole letter, it's, it's just an awkward conversation, and, and we get to kind of witness it. But, but the reality is that life does get messy, and there are awkward times between us. But what we see here is that Paul is being gracious. He, he doesn't press his friend any longer than he needs to on this subject. Uh, I found myself in a similar experience yesterday, actually, um, writing a letter. And I, I had a series of emails that I, I wrote to a friend a partner in ministry wh whom I, I, I consider um, theologically, we share koinonia, but on a very practical, emotional way that we connect, um, I, I feel the koinonia with this friend um, it, more so than I, I often feel it with, with some other people. You know how there's people you just you connect with and you share this partnership, and, and when you work together, you go, what a joy. Um, Theologically, we all have that, and we experience it at different levels in, in how we feel what's true. But here's a person who I, I just, they are, this person's a partner in the gospel, and as we work together, it brings me great joy. And so I, I had an email, I had to ask a question that was somewhat awkward, but it needed to happen. And, and in the midst of that, life got messy. And so, you ever had those emails where you just ha don't have the right emoji? emoji? I don't know how to say that, but... My daughters will make fun of me later on. Um, and, and honestly, you know, it just, it was an awkward conversation and life got messy with it. So I, I risked the awkwardness and I just put everything on the table and said, here's where we're at. Uh, like Paul here, I, I tried to be gracious, as gracious as I could. Um, but then what I found was I got a response from my friend. And my friend, my partner in ministry, responded, and their response was filled with koinonia and grace. And ultimately, their response was filled with an enormous sacrifice on their part. They put themselves out there, and um, they gave up what benefited them because they wanted what was best for somebody else. And so I thank them for their gracious response. Uh, I, I, I had the opportunity to respond in kind. I, I thank them for the way that they responded, of course, and um, affirmed their partnership that we share, that their sacrifice, while, while I was thankful for the way that they responded, wasn't necessary. Um, their sacrifice was genuine. I, sh I assured them that our partnership continues together. And here's my point. Sometimes life just gets messy. And these conversations that we have and the way that we do things and ministering together and serving together, being a part of the same church, it, it's hard. And we have to deal with circumstances and with people where, where there's going to be some awkwardness and, and sometimes there's going to be sin that has to be confronted and, and dealt with and, and, and our love with one another. We have to talk about those things. And, and I need to go to my brother in Christ who's not walking with the Lord and say, hey, I love you. What's going on here? 
But the partnership that we have in the work of the gospel, our koinonia, it allows us to share life together in a way that also brings great delight and joy to us. And that leads us to verses 21 and 22 where Paul continues on. He says, Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. And Paul's basically, he, he's wrapping up his letter, and, and he's, he's making his final requests. But notice how in spite of the mess, in spite of, how, of, of all the awkwardness that he's had to deal with, the relationship continues. Things move on as, as they ought to. In verse 21, Paul expresses his confidence in the character of his friend. And though the letter was complicated, it was, it was a masterpiece on grace. Uh, it was a masterpiece of tact. Paul knows that this letter is going to be hard to respond to and that Philemon's obedience is going to complicate life for him. But he, but he also knows that Philemon will go above and beyond because he already knows the character of his friend. And so in verse 22, he shows that life is continuing on as normal. In the first century, if you were traveling, you didn't book a hotel on Expedia.com. Christians, they didn't go to inns. That would not be appropriate. Inns in that time were not the places you wanted to be. And so Christians relied on one another. Uh, Unlike in the 21st century, if, if I sent an email to a friend and just said, prepare a guest room for me. Um... You might be glad to show hospitality, but you also might be wondering why I couldn't at least have asked more nicely. Um, in the culture of the first century, what Paul says here and the way he says it, this is asking nicely. Uh, this was perfectly acceptable, perfectly normal, perfectly expected, and perfectly what Philemon would have wanted to do in that culture. It was expected, especially among those that celebrated and enjoyed koinonia with one another. And so verse 22 also shows us the reality, though, that, that prayer is a part of our fellowship. Prayer is a part of our koinonia. You see, we have the privilege of doing life together and, and praying for one another. Paul knew that Philemon and the church that met in his home, that he knew that they were already praying for him. In, in fact, um, in the middle of this verse, Paul switches from singular to plural. Uh, Philemon, he says, prepare a room for me. Then through uh, y'all's prayers... I, I will re- be graciously given to y'all. Uh, and so he's been really focusing on Philemon, and now he switches his attention to the, the whole family and to the, the whole church. Uh, this wasn't just koinonia between two friends, between an apostle and a leader in another church. It was shared uh, with the church of Colossae. And though Paul didn't know exactly what was going to come, out, come next, uh, he does have reason to believe that he was going to be released from chains soon. And so he says all that. But then in the final verses of this short letter, Paul ends uh, the way he, that he began by mentioning a, a few names. He, he started, starts out by mentioning a few of the people in Colossae. And like many letters written in the Roman world, Paul concludes with a few greetings from the people that were on his end of things. But, but don't, don't dismiss this. I, I know oftentimes we come to the end of these letters and, um, you know, we, we read the heart of it, and, and then we get to the end, and it's kind of like, you know, sincerely so-and-so. Well, I, I don't need to even look at that because obviously it's not important. But this is God's Word, and it's inspired, and, and God put it here for a reason, and it's here for our benefit. And, and so don't, don't dismiss the end of this letter because 
what seems like might be insignificant tells a story. Each one of these names tells a story in Paul's life. And each of these names tells about the importance of the relationship we need around us as we enjoy koinonia with one another. He begins with a guy named Epaphras. Uh, Epaphras is mentioned a couple times in Colossians and then again here in Philemon. I think that's it. And uh, he, um, from the clues that Paul drops in Colossians, Epaphras is presented as a, a faithful evangelist who seems to have been the individual who first took the gospel to the city of Colossae, but, but also to their two city, sis, sister cities, Hierapolis and Laodicea. Here what we have is a servant, uh, a minister of the gospel who, who got it. Somewhere he heard the gospel, he came to know Jesus Christ, and he knew that the people in Colossae, maybe his home city, uh, needed to hear this message. Uh, a message that was filled with life and grace and hope. Uh, a message of hope that leads people to faith in Jesus Christ and, and then fills them with the power to truly love their neighbor as God intended them to. Epaphras had received the truth, and so he did what God calls each one of us to do. Shared the truth with others. Probably he was, he was continuing to serve as their pastor or one of their elders and, and had gone to Rome to visit and encourage Paul. Earlier, Paul described him as a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Uh, friend, you, you need people like Epaphras. You need people in your life who are great prayer warriors. And you need to be Epaphras to other people. People that would encourage them, that would be there for them, that pray for them. One of my goals in this life is to be the kind of prayer warrior that Epaphras seems to have been. In fact, the, the word that Paul uses about him in Colossians is, is he says he, he struggles on your behalf. That's a picture of his prayer life for the Colossians. Can you picture that? He struggles for you. It's a word that means to fight. It means to be engaged in great combat. And sometimes prayer can be a great struggle, can it? It, it? it doesn't come easily. But we are called to it like Epaphras. And, and prayer is part of our koinonia. We need people praying for us. And we need to be Epaphras to somebody else. Next he mentions Mark. Uh, John Mark is one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. Uh, when we first met this man, he's probably in his late teens, early 20s. We don't know exactly, but we, we think that's about right. Uh, of course, years later, he's going to write um, the first gospel of, uh, that, that comes out, the gospel of Mark. It's the second gospel in your Bible. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion that he makes a couple cameos in his gospel uh, where he introduces himself into the story without specifically giving his own name. I, I have a feeling that that in that story where, where the disciples go to find the upper room where they're going to celebrate the Passover, and, and they find the upper room how? There's going to be a young man carrying a pitcher of water. And that would have been really unusual in those days because in that culture, the women carried the water. The men did not go to the well, did not carry water. Uh, there were distinct roles in, in, in the way that they did that. And here's this young man carrying water, and if you're walking down the street and saw a guy carrying water, uh, you would stop and go, what in the world is that guy doing? And, and so we have a feeling that that might have been Mark because to his house where the upper room was. 
And um, later on, there's another story where the disciples go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they're there, and Jesus is praying. And the Roman soldiers come and arrest Jesus, and all the disciples scatter. And in Mark, he, he tells that there was, there was another person there that had followed the disciples. And it seems that he was hiding in a bush, just wearing a sheet. And, and when they tried to arrest him, they got the sheet, but they didn't get him. And you can imagine the rest of the story running through Jerusalem. Um, that might be Mark. And the reason he shares that story is, is he might be sharing his own one-on-one personal experience at the garden. Um, anyway, um, Mark's this great guy, and, and he loved, I, I love his gospel. But um, years later, Mark becomes a Christian, uh, or he had become a Christian, and when Paul and Barnabas set off on their first missionary journey, they took Mark with them, this young disciple, and they're, they're bringing him along to train him for, for ministry. But very soon, things get really tough. Uh, something happened on that journey, and Mark bails. He, he takes a ship, uh, he, he takes a road back home, we don't know how, but he, he leaves Paul and Barnabas, and he leaves them at a time when they desperately needed him, and, and they were left in a horrible situation, whatever it was. It, it was so bad that, that later on when they're going on the second missionary journey, Barnabas says, hey, let's bring Mark with us. And Paul says, absolutely not. Uh, I mean, Paul, he says, we're not going to do that to this trip. I, I'm not going to put situation and mark can't come and they have this sharp disagreement these friends and they end up going both went in two different ways and and barnabas takes mark and they go to one island where they share the gospel and and paul takes silas and they go another way um but years go by and by the time we come to the books of philemon and colossians guess what here's mark and where is he He's with Paul. And where's Paul? He's in prison. He's either under house arrest, uh, chained to a Roman guard, or he's in a prison somewhere. And Mark is with him. And so what we see is Paul's opinions have changed greatly, so much so that he encourages the Colossians to receive him if he comes that way. And, And the point is this. Mark is a reminder to us that God's not done with you. Do you feel like you've really messed things up? Do you feel sometimes like you've failed in ministry? Let people down? Went the wrong way for a time? Remember that Mark went on to be of great value, not only to Paul, but also to Peter. And Peter and Mark probably wrote the Gospel of Mark together. Mark is a reminder to us that often God will bring comfort into your life through people that you gave up hope on a long time ago. Don't give up on them. You you need marks in your life. They're a part of the koinonia that we share. And we also need to be like Aristarchus. In in Colossians, he describes Aristarchus as my fellow prisoner. And that's a really good description because every time we find Aristarchus in the Bible, guess what's happening? Paul's in trouble, and Aristarchus is right next to it with him. I mean, maybe he should have got rid of Aristarchus, and all those problems Paul had wouldn't have happened. Um, I think it's the other way around, actually. Um, we, we find Aristarchus. Uh, he's a, a believing Jew who came from Macedonia, from the city of Thessalonica. Uh, you read Thessalonians, that's the city. And so again, he's one of these servants who stuck with Paul. 
He went through difficult times with them. In fact, Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles was oftentimes on the outside among his fellow Jews. A lot of the Jewish Christians weren't really happy with what Paul was doing. But Aristarchus was one of the three that were specifically told their names that stayed with Paul through the thick and thin. Aristarchus was one of Paul's traveling companions, and his presence goes a little back a little further to Acts chapter 19, where he was with, with Paul during the, the riot in Ephesus that breaks out. And, and while they're looking for Paul, they can't find him, so guess who they grab? Our friend Aristarchus. And so this mob drags him out into the street. He gets mauled in this angry riot, but that doesn't deter him. He, he keeps on going with Paul to the next place. He follows him all the way back to Syria in Acts chapter 20. He's mentioned again in Acts chapter 27 after Paul's been in prison for years. Um, and, and when they go out to sea and they're on their way to Italy, uh, he's still with Paul while he's a prisoner in Rome. And so here's this guy who, um, he does a little bit of time with Paul. He was a jail companion. They, they had some interesting conversations, I'm sure. But Paul notes that Aristarchus was a comfort to him. There are some people who will go through all the difficult days with you. They will be there through thick and thin. And you need an Aristarchus, and you need to be an Aristarchus for others. He also mentions Demas. Uh, note that, um, I, I want you to note that we are called to invest in people. And some of those people will be your close beloved friends some of the people that you invest in will comfort you they'll pray for you they will pray with you some of them will be a surprise because you gave up on them earlier but there are going to be some people that you invest in that are going to fail you and demas was one of those demas is mentioned here in philemon uh, and colossians but at the end of paul's life fast forward a few years to second timothy just a few years three four five years and by the time 2 Timothy is written, written in this personal letter, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And that word desert, uh, it, it means he left him in a bad spot. It, it was not a good situation. And my friends, it, it hurts when it happens, doesn't it? You, you've been hurt by people like this. But understand that there will be those who fail you. And koinonia means we continue to invest in one another. We continue to love one another, even those that are going to fail you, even those that have failed you in the past. We serve people on purpose. And we love people on purpose. Even when they fail us later on. And finally, Luke is the same Gentile doctor who's accompanied Paul on many of his missionary journeys. The same Luke that writes the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Um, he's mentioned in a few places with Paul, and, and he's there at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy as well. I, I think it's cool. I, I don't think I've noticed this before, uh, but I was reading through Philemon, and I was like, wait a minute. Mark and Luke, they're, they're in the same place at the same time. You've got two of the guys that wrote the Gospels that are with Paul, and we actually have a spot where we're told that they were in the same location and they knew one another, and they interacted with one another, which we know already because of how the, the Gospels interact with one another. But I think it's cool that, you know, this may have actually been the time when, when Luke gets to see a copy of the Gospel of Mark. Maybe, maybe they had some really interesting conversations, because we know that it's also about this time 
that Luke writes his gospel that you have there in your Bible. Anyway, we, we need people like Luke. And koinonia means that you, you need to be a Luke for others, a friend that will be there to the end. In verse 25, Paul concludes with a benediction, a, a prayer to Jesus. And, and again, he's, he's praying for y'all, plural. He's praying for Philemon, but he's also praying for his family. He's praying for the church that meets in their house. He simply concludes by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's my prayer for you. It's exactly what Philemon needed. He was being asked to do something that, that went against what society expected of him. It went against his own worldview and what he had grown up thinking and doing. He was being asked to show grace. He needed to show and live out koinonia. But what we find is that koinonia flows naturally from the grace of Jesus. Because we share life together. And because we share all that we have in Jesus and everything that he has done for us, everything that he will do for us, that, that's ours together. And we have eternity together. And because you and I, all of us, we are partners together in, in life and partners in the proclamation of the gospel. This koinonia flows out from the grace of our Lord. And so this morning we conclude our service by celebrating the fellowship that we have in Christ. One other word that expresses the concept of koinonia, koinonia like fellowship does, is the word communion. We, we are part of a community doing life together, enjoying what Jesus has done for us, remembering Jesus. And so I'm going to ask the men to come forward as we celebrate communion together. And, and part of our koinonia is celebrating Jesus together. It's remembering him, waiting for him, looking forward to his second coming and sharing Jesus with others. Mm -hmm.